Warning. The following podcast will contain spoilers for not only the game being discussed this week, but any games in the series, other games made by the same creative team, movies and TV shows that might be related or based on the same material or based on the game itself, movies and TV shows that might just be kind of related, pretty much anything we bring up on this show, you can count on it being spoiled, and this is your last warning. Alright, thanks for listening. Hello everyone, and welcome back to Pac-Man Search for Meaning. It's a video game podcast where we talk about, gosh, all sorts of stuff. Ethics, narratives, what, what, game designers and writers want to tell you with their silly little games i'm pan they them i tried this out last time you might remember uh i'm i'm your gamer host (laughs) and it's me hannah i don't i don't like what i said last time i'm just i'm just just gosh darn hannah isn't that not good enough no it's not okay I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Think of something else and um, have it prepared on my desk by next week. <laughs> All right, it'll be soaked in my tears. Excellent. Perfect. So, we're still talking about The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, a 2015 third-person open-world action RPG. If you... Didn't listen to the last one, we are not going to do all the background stuff again. Sorry. Just you just gotta know it. Yeah, honestly, if you aren't already familiar with this game, this a lot of this is gonna just seem like nonsense. But one second, scooter, scooters just making a being lot a jokester. of noise. Yeah, one second. Oh my god, what are you doing? But I don't want to interrupt your great intro. No, it's fine. Um, the listeners probably just heard a quick bit of static. And we were just talking about <laughs> Hannah's cat, who is insisting on being very noisy. Her name is Scooter. Um, and this is going to be just a quick little segment called Scooter Watch. Scooter Watch. Uh, what's going on with Scooter? She's digging a hole in her litter box because now she's digging a hole in the ground. She can't do that, but she thinks she's digging a hole in the ground. Oh, Scooter, you're... God, animals are so stupid. They're so dumb. Now she's like, oh, I got food? Good job. Just taking a tour of all her things. I'm really proud of her. That's not true. She's so dumb. Mm. But I love her. All right, and that's been Scooter Watch. There you go. Anyways, um, we talked a lot last episode about, you know, this game, much like... Um, the Fast and the Furious series of movies is largely about family. Mm-hmm. And and we all know, uh, sorry, I was trying to make like an Olive Garden segue, you know, but okay, but we don't have to. I need to watch it yeah. the Fast and the Furious movies. Yeah, I think I've only seen Tokyo Drift. That's arguably not even canon. So what are we doing? Uh, I need to watch uh-huh. all of them. Uh. It's probably better ways to spend your time. Oh, barely. Yeah. But in any case, um, let's talk more about The Witcher. So we got into a lot of stuff about relationships, romance, father-child relationships, general. God, we didn't even talk about, like, French friendship at all. <laughs> well, we talked about Dandelion for a second. For, like, a little... Yeah, a little bit mm-hmm. about Dandelion. And look, we're not going to get back into it, but we can't move on without acknowledging the beautiful friendship between Geralt and Dandelion. And that's great. And it's really good. And I like his mustache a lot. But I'm glad that the TV show didn't make him look like Dandelion in the games. That's all. That's all. Yeah. Mostly yeah, the mustache. Was a good move on their part. Yeah. They made good choices. Yeah. But, um, so other things to talk about. I don't know. I was trying to like sort through this earlier and it was really not helped by the fact that um when you try to look up stuff like people of color in the witcher or the witcher and anti-semitism or whatever it really troublingly at least on the duck duck go search engine led me to some 
white supremacist websites that were bitching about the um I don't know what they called it, but you know, the removing white people from their stories in The Witcher and because listeners, I don't know if you remember this controversy or paid attention at all, but the Netflix series The Witcher featured a number of people of color in roles that in the games and implicitly or maybe explicitly in the books were white people. <sighs> I'm clutching my pearls. Just imagine me clutching Gosh, my pearls. Gosh, terrible. <laughs> None of the main characters, mind you, but... Yeah, I mean... So, some of them. Isn't, um... Oh, well, I don't want to... <laughs> we don't have to go into it. But, like, uh, who cares if it was a main character? It's all make-believe. I mean, it's all make-believe. I don't know if they know this. Sure. But it's all I just thought it was funny that, like, they're up in arms about... I couldn't... This stuff makes me want to throw up when I read it. But because it came up, I was like, well, what's all this about? And they're like, yeah, they're taking away all of our heroes. Like, <laughs> Triss Marigold, <laughs> oh, who is a secondary character in the series, both the games and the show. And yeah, even in the show. Honestly, it's, like, worse... She's they been, they took away so much of Triss's character yeah. in the show. She's such a sm- a smaller character in the show. So what? It's I don't know. It's so it's it's pathetic. It's very it's um it's very small of them. Yeah, we're gonna you know what risky move, but as a show, I think we should take a strong stance against white supremacists. <laughs> I think that's very brave of us. Uh, Cause I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on board on that stance. I'm really proud of us. I think we've made a big move. Yeah, and just like if you have ever been the type of person who gets up in arms about you know replacing characters that had been white in the original thing with people of color, and that bothers you for some reason, um, go fuck yourself. And and really just like remember that all of this is uh make believe and not real and uh it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. And it's just to enjoy and that everyone, including people that aren't white like you, uh should also get to enjoy it. Wow. Yeah. And you know, I don't know how to segue into this smoothly, but we talked about this last time. The setting of this game is basically kind of a mishmash hodgepodge of um, various parts of Central and Western Europe circa like 1300. And um, first of all, people like to pretend like this wasn't the case. There were people of color there. I clutched my pearls again. Gosh, Wild. you're going to wreck your pearls <laughs> if you keep I doing know. that. I know, and uh, but it's okay. It's worth the clutching. It's that important. I guess. <laughs> I'm that shocked. But so I guess what I want to talk about a little bit is it's it's just such a huge part of this story. Um, how to put this otherness and the persecution of any minority group uh, and bigotry for various reasons, specifically um, kind of religious based prejudice and kind of like. I don't know. Prejudice driven by religion is uh, it's a big part of the plot of this game. And while there were, as I just said, people of color in, you know, Poland and thereabouts back when there I think there might be there are no significant characters that I can remember who aren't white in this game, unfortunately. But as as is often the case in fantasy, the other actual other races like elves and halflings and dwarfs and um in a kind of different extent magic users stand in for non-white people and thus kind of bear the brunt of bigotry that you might see directed at either non-white people or jewish people or what have you and i don't know um the game has a lot to say about it. And I think we could start with just the fact that you are, you know, there's no picking your player background or like character creation. You are Geralt of Rivia, who, despite being very cool and very um, heroic and the kind of guy who people write songs about, you're a freak. 
and people often treat you that way. So in a game where persecution and hate is such a big factor, positioning you as the player, you know, your lens into this world is as a character who is constantly getting this hate, even from people you're trying to help. And so I guess it it serves to really hammer the point home and put people who may not be, you know, in their lives experiencing that kind of hate, put you in the shoes of someone who does and tries to make you feel it. Yeah. I mean, I think by having you as the character experience that to a certain degree, um, I think there are other characters that are probably experiencing worse persecution than Geralt, but Geralt is capable of fighting back and some of these other characters are not. You are in a position that when these instances come up, it is cl- it is f- fairly clear, at least, I mean, I think it's clear that as a character who's experienced some sort of ostracist, oh, this is too much hard of a word, uh, you're an outcast and feeling yeah. that way from, from others that if there are, there are other people who are vulnerable to that or are experiencing that, that you would be understanding or empathic to that, that experience. And that as because you are playing as that character, that you would hopefully be more understanding and conscious of that. And you, I mean, as a character who is, their job is to kill monsters, the idea of, like, what is a monster, who defines what a monster is, uh-huh. is something that comes up. Is it something that you're just don't not familiar with? Is it something that you are scared of because you've been told to be scared of it? Is it actually a monster? Is it because it looks different than you? Like, what constitutes that? Right. And there are times when that is clearly not the case. There's plenty of times when you're killing monsters, having a grand old time killing a monster. And then, you know, the idea that, like, you should potentially question that. Like, what is it that... And why are you killing who deserves to be, you know, taken out as your monster? Yeah. Yeah, there's certainly, like, a spectrum of monstrousness that you interact with over the course of the game and i mean not only that but um a spectrum of i guess how if we could say that there's definitive levels of being a monster i.e like despite what we said in the last episode um about man being the greatest monster of all if we're gonna call humans not monsters and i don't know what are things in this game some of them are monsters (laughs) yeah Yes, yes, yes. A non-human, scary thing. Yeah. yeah. A big, scary monster that is base and, you know, dangerous and uh, scary. And then there's a spectrum of things in between that. But there's that whole range. And then there's what people think of where certain creatures lie on that spectrum of monster to not monster um, versus where they actually, in a more... Uh, objective way do fall on that spectrum like gosh this is okay i don't we don't want to talk about dlc too much prefer to stick to the base game but but if you got the first example that comes to mind (laughs) is um from the blood and wine dlc there's a quest can't remember all of it or you know i don't know it's like there's a there's a monster there's a weird thing there's some house that's just got spoons all over the place And there's some kind of, I've heard tell of a weird monster that's in there. And it turns out that it is a, an old woman who's been cursed. Um, I think because she turned away a beggar in a very like, um, beauty and the beast sort of thing, but she's cursed to turn into a more of a, a horrible monster who can't, I think can't eat or drink or something. And so she's like collecting spoons because there's something in the curse about having a spoon, whatever this the solution to it. I mean, you can kill her and that's terrible because it turns out she's just an old woman who rubbed someone the wrong way. But to break the curse, you kind of you essentially it's like show her kindness by choosing to eat the nasty slop that she's got. And so I don't know. That's an instance of perceived mm-hmm. monsterness versus actual monsterness. Yeah. It's not necessarily like the f- first like knee-jerk reaction. And you have to do something you may not like absolutely love doing, like eating slop. But in the end, that is the much more humane 
thing to do. And and the game gives you that option. The ga- game gives you the option to do the, the cruel thing and the kind thing. Yeah, it's kind of, I don't want to get back into the heavy territory of the botchling quest, but it is kind of like that too, of doing the more difficult thing that involves showing kindness. And while the game, I don't think in either instance, really rewards you maybe you end up with more gold or more experience points or something but like not in a significant way and similarly with the old woman i think what happens if you change the the cursed monster back into an old woman she just goes to live at your house and maybe she does something there i can't remember okay (laughs) but um it's i guess it's i don't know if you're playing these games like i tend to and are trying to be a relatively just and kind person and, you know, do good in the world of the game. You Your reward is that um, if you have patience and kindness, uh, something good might happen in what is often a pretty ugly world. Yeah. And, so, and some people play games to be as cruel and mean as possible, to, to just see what terrible things that they can get away with in a game. And the game does often does not reward that. I mean, it, it, to a certain extent, it, it'll let you kind of do whatever you want to do, but given, like, the options it has, it has many options, some kind, some cruel, but there is uh, a benefit. There is, like, rewards sometimes for that good good deed, but I, the idea that, like, you're doing it for a reward is also, is not built in, because there's not always a reward. Right. Sometimes, I mean, it's not quite the same... Um... But sometimes there's kind of an anti-reward in this game, and that's an interesting balance to strike. And what I mean by that is, throughout the game, there's a bajillion optional quests. Witcher contracts. You're a witcher. Your job is to hunt monsters and to be able to fund, you know, your lifestyle and your search for your adoptive daughter. You need to, you know, fulfill contracts to do this. And it's usually by um, random... Poor villagers who are like, oh, there's a there's a fucking ghost in in me basement, and mm-hmm. that's what they sound like. Wow. That's and you impeccable. get the ghost out of their basement, and at the end of it, like half the time, they're like, oh, thanks, Switcher. I guess uh, here's my last. I'm gonna stop doing the accent. Here's my last <laughs> piece of gold, and um, I guess I just won't eat this week as a thank you so so i can pay you i guess i just old man might have to go in the ground a little sooner oh that's Um, uh i want to say a little passive aggressive and how dare that old man but also i i see you yeah but i mean so when that happens you're given the option to say it's our it's all right don't it's okay keep your gold and again like maybe half the time something happens where it's like rewards you for that kindness but another half of the time it's just like well i did that whole quest for no payment i probably found like a cool sword or something but yeah maybe got some sweet experience but certainly but not that sweet sweet cash that that old man gets to use oh yeah lame i don't know what that says because it's like what we're supposed to be talking about here you know that's a mechanic of the game doing these witcher contracts and hunting the monsters getting paid that's the game yeah Um, can we talk about the dialogue in this game we have not talked about the dialogue because you do a lot of dialogue throughout the whole game and like in a lot of games you have options for what you say yeah but I think what's kind of interesting or yeah, I'll just use the word interesting about the way that the dialogue works in this game is that you get sometimes two, sometimes more options that were apparently designed to be morally ambiguous. Some games will say like, this is the sneaky version or like, this is the nice for polite version or like, it'll very, it'll give you like, clues as to like what type of response it is and what kind of reaction you're going to get. While this game doesn't give you that um, and will have usually like fairly reasonable dialogue options. Sometimes there'll be more uh, 
information based. Like you're trying to, you're more straightforward and trying to get information, more elusive, uh, more deceptive, more truthful. You know, there will be some sort of leaning to it, but it's kind of in the effort of trying to be even keeled in the choices that you're given. And sometimes the way that that actual dialogue plays out is not exactly how it seems like it would. Sure. Which is, I mean, kind of how conversations in real life work. Well, to a certain sort extent. Of. I mean, I don't usually like start a fight that I didn't expect. <laughs> and sometimes the, the yeah. jumps are bigger than you expect. But sometimes you don't sure. know what you're going to, you like interpret the person wrong or <laughs> you think that like, the way that you said it was going to come off one way and absolutely did not. So I think to a certain extent, like there's a little bit of that. I mean, we were talking before we started recording about examples uh, that you come in and count. You had encountered where like what you expected to happen and what actual dialogue was. Yeah. It's like such a thing in this game compared to say Bioware games that often explicitly tag like this is the good guy option and this is the bad guy. Yeah. Um, and in this one it'll be like gosh, I don't know. I can't remember any ex- like specific examples, There's but it's so always many, stuff though, yeah. like you're walking past some person and they're like, "Hey, um you mind if I just squeeze by you?" And you get the dialogue options of no, no problem, or yes, or that's fine. And you pick, you know, no, no problem, thinking that that's going to be just like a safe, pretty straightforward choice. But what Geralt ends up saying is no, no problem, fucker, hurry it up. (laughs) And then that's obviously antagonistic towards the person and creates a problem. Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, I the, the idea that, like, you didn't intend to start that fight. You were just trying to be like, it's cool, it's chill. But that means, like, no, it's not all right. Get, <laughs> don't, don't touch me, don't talk to me. We're, we're now fighting. Yeah. I, I mean, but I do think that, like, for the, for the most part, I don't know. Because you're talking so much, like, a lot of the game is you trying to find stuff out. You trying to like do detective work. You just like talking to random people. The fact that like there is an effort to give you the options to be more hostile or diplomatic or evasive or to not share much or you can share more is, I don't know, interesting. And the fact that like they don't sure. tell you exactly what's going to happen and that like you don't know exactly the type of, um, what that line is going to turn out to be. Cause like, it's not like they say exactly right. that they, they do some yeah. sort of amalgamation of it. Sure. So let me, this is a thought that I haven't fully developed, but just, you know, while we've been talking about this part, like you're saying dialogue and discussion and dealing with people is a huge part of this game. And I guess it, I, I don't know what a, a good way to implement a mechanic of like, ambiguity and uncertainty of how people are going to react to stuff would play out well i mean it could go a lot of ways what i'm trying to say is i had you know even when i was talking about it before i had thought about the kind of um division between what you think your dialogue is going to be and what comes out of Geralt's mouth Mm -hmm. as kind of a flaw of this game and maybe it is but in part it functions or at least my thought is that it kind of functions as a way to get you, the player, to experience, like, gosh, I don't know, unexpected outcomes of what might come out of your mouth. Because yeah, I spend a lot of time talking, for instance, what we're doing here. But, like, sometimes I say things that are unexpected. Or even if I say exactly what I mean, the reaction is often unexpected. And so... Having Geralt kind of act unpredictably is, I guess, a way to get you to feel that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that's kind of part of of conversation in the real world is that you can't possibly know how. I mean, you, you have a good idea. You have like your social skills and like your experience of having had many conversations throughout your life. So you have a good idea of like how a conversation will go. But I mean, you, you don't have a hundred percent accuracy on like 
Well, when I say this thing, I mean this, but I can't convey that exactly to another person. They're going to get however they interpret it, whatever their experience with conversations, whatever their experience with these particular phrases that I'm using. And, and me as a person and their background with whatever it is they think I am, they're going to react a certain way. And I have a certain expectation of what that's going to be, but that's not how it, how it always turns out. I mean, they're shooting for something, I think, pretty complex with what they're doing. And I don't think it always works perfectly. Uh-huh. And I think the idea of like, you think they're going to do that. And then you're like, ah, get out of my way, fucker, is, is kind of a stretch. But, you know, I mean, I get surprised by how people react to me all the time. So, I mean, that is a, a true human experience. Yeah, that's why I just tried, like, not to deal with people if I can avoid it. I mean, that's the that's the way to go. But sometimes yeah. you gotta. You gotta. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of, like, examples of where it's more significant, you know, how um, your dialogue choices affect the game. One that got me a couple times, actually, it's at least two playthroughs. I made the same mistake of um, you're dealing with this guy, Dijkstra. This is less dialogue and more just like making a choice from uh, a number of choices. But Dijkstra, I talked about this in the last episode. He's kind of like a mobster, mover, shaker kind of guy with, you know, a significant amount of like underground power and influence. You know, it's not that important to say all that, but he's a guy who you kind of have to deal with and you have a fraught history. I didn't know enough about the background, but I looked it up earlier Um, sometime in one of the first two games. um, He was somehow in your way and he was going to cause problems for you. And to deal with that quickly, you break his ankle kind of brutally. And so when you meet him in this game, he has to have a brace and his leg never really healed fully. Ah, jeez. And there's some option. You're you're fighting with him for some reason. Oh, it's because um, gosh, it, this is just like a whole web of things because it's it's pretty troubling. He has it out for uh, a sorceress called Philippa Eilhart, I think is her name. Um, who had sort of been a romantic interest of Dijkstra's and subsequently kind of burned him and he was unhappy about that she got she was a polymorph who could turn into a bird and she got tricked into turning into a bird and then being put in a position where she couldn't change out of being a bird Dijkstra comes into possession of that bird not knowing it's her she finally unbecomes a bird and uh starts to just really wreck stuff in his place of business because she was unhappy about all the being a bird stuff. Fair enough. Really wanted to get out of there. And also she had been blinded not that long ago through like a kind of horrible implementation of justice by, I think, King Radovid, who was unhappy with her behavior. Anyways, that's a lot of background for just to set the scene of she... um trying to get out of a place Geralt happens upon the situation he uh he being Geralt wants to help her out and Dijkstra wants to stand in his way and there's just some option that's like basically it's it's like three choices like you know don't list push Dijkstra it's not like that it's I don't know it's like do nothing walk away push Dijkstra out of the way and like I thought, you know, picking Push Dijkstra out of the way would be like, just shove this guy over, get him out of the way, you know. Don't do nothing, but don't attack the guy. Mm -hmm. But it proceeds to cut to you just, like, brutally knocking him over and, like, snapping his leg while he is the whole time protesting, like, not the leg, not the leg. And it's just horrible. That's no good. That seems a little too far. You've gone a little too far, Geralt. Chill out. Yeah. There should be an in-between. <laughs> yeah, there should be. There, there should have been a more clear indication that that would happen. But I guess to make it worthwhile that I just did all that explanation. I don't know. That's a very extreme example of what we're talking about in this sort of like ambiguity of choosing certain directions. And yes. I mean, 
granted, you should be in control of yourself enough to know when you're going to brutally assault somebody, but if I'm remembering correctly, because I'm not like looking at the scene right now or anything, but it is a logical conclusion of what might might have happened if you choose the not completely passive role, you know? If it was like I said, which is push him out of the way, that could have led to a fight, yeah. which might have, you know, led to more violence and breaking the guy's leg. But, you know, I guess for efficiency and storytelling, it just jumps right to it. Yeah. But. Wild. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I wonder if sometimes the if they're just trying to, like, shock people with the choices that they make, though, to a certain yeah. extent. Like, knowing that you expect to just push them out of the way, um, they're like, no, 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 we're going to take it to 11. You're just going to break this dude's legs in half. Remember that last time he bro- <laughs> broke this guy's ankle? Well, we're going to break his leg. So, LOL. Just push him out of the way. And by that, I mean, you know, push him out of the way of being uh, able to walk. Horrible. Yeah. I hated that when it happened both times. That's too bad. Oh, man, this reminds me again. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes. We're not... Maybe we shouldn't get too much into describing the plot of the game. I'm going to try to explain this quickly. Okay. Kira Metz, who we talked about last time, she's a sorceress who uh-huh. you would kind of like on and off have romantic encounters with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She makes you lunch. It's great. Yeah. In this game, yeah, you can choose to sleep with her and some stuff happens. Um, and there's a quest related to her in this weird, like, wizard's tower or something. That's the wrong word for it. But, you know, <laughs> this guy had been doing, like, unethical experiments in this tower. Okay. Um, and she wanted his research. And Geralt has the option to think, basically, like, well, no, it was pretty fucked up what he did. That should be destroyed. Yeah. And she disagrees with you. And again, it's like... There's kind of these choices of like let let Kira uh have the the research or walk away or insist that she stop. And so, you know, whatever. If you pick the like insist that she stops, he's like, "Hey, I'm not letting you get out of here with that research." And she's like, "Well, I'm a sorceress, so try to stop me." And then you get into a fight and kill her. Oh, oh my Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, that's intense. I mean, I guess the thing is, you never know how things will snowball. Uh, I guess guess that's maybe the lesson. Like, don't start something you can't finish. (laughs) But (laughs) that's... Right. um, That's intense. Yeah. Unforeseen consequences. You're, You're welcome. Yeah. And so, again, I mean... Since, like, the game, is, it would be completely, just given the technology that exists now, not to mention, you know, what existed in 2015, um, effectively impossible to give you, like, full choice over every little action that you do. Yeah. So, like, to have instances of, um, I don't know, less than passive choices snowball into bad consequences, um... You kind of have to, maybe not have to, but it is an effective way of displaying that by, you know, giving you these really seemingly outlandish bad outcomes from what seem like semi-innocuous choices. Yeah. I mean, and I guess the idea is that uh, sort of the idea that Geralt started out that interaction um, with the intention of what you gave him, like that, that was your choice to, to just be like, no, you, you can't have this. And that you as the player and Geralt as the character, I suppose, both didn't necessarily go into that being like, I'm going to murder this lady. Perfect. But then like, ah, geez, looks like I murdered that lady. Um, mm. So a shocking turn of, you know, snowballs experience. But I mean... The next time you have a choice like that, that kind of colors your choice, are you going to be more passive than you would have been before because you're not sure exactly how far things will escalate? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, does it feel like, I mean, just with these examples, 
is the game kind of pushing the idea that you really ought to be careful of how you speak and be incredibly mindful that people might react in unexpected ways and you should do your best to steer clear of that if you don't want things to get ugly. I mean, perhaps, but there are a lot of instances where what you expect is what happens. So it's sort sure. of hard to say, like, is it, is, the, is it so typical for it to be... If it was, like, always an escalation and you're always, like, you thought it was middle of the road, but then you're just screaming and killing and doing bad stuff, then that might teach you to be like, oh, man, I got to chill out. But I don't uh-huh. think the game really does that. I think it's... These are unusual instances for the most part. Sure. So I don't know if that's a a tool to like shape behavior as as consistently. I don't I don't think that's like a consistent way to teach a player to like chill out. Uh, yeah, maybe not. How about I, don't know. I think yeah, I sure don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think with the idea that like they were shooting for morally ambiguous. I don't know if they achieve that. Uh. And I'm not exactly sure what that would even look like. Like every option is uh, gray would be hard <laughs> to do. The idea that they're trying to give you like good, medium, evil. Um, I don't think they're doing that either, which is more of yeah, the typical definitely. options. It's like usually good, neutral, evil. Yeah. But I do. I mean, it does seem like they're trying to do something a little bit more natural in the dialogue. Uh. I mean, these are closer to normal conversations where my goal is to get something from you and you are either willing to give it or not. And you don't know exactly Uh what it is that I want from you. Those kind of dynamics. Because those are the kinds of conversations that that Geralt tends to have. He's usually trying to get something from the other person. Or the other person's trying to get something from him. Right. Yeah. Whether that's sweet lovemaking or information about where his daughter is or something you know what i mean y'all yeah. <laughs> kind of depends it's usually one of those things it's <laughs> one of those though hmm. yeah i don't have anything else to say about that what's next i think the only thing i have left on my list is the fact that there are like multiple endings and that there's many kinds of results of conversations uh, or interactions that there are a lot of um online resources to see like what's the best ending and what's the Uh, best how do you get this ending how that as a type of uh, how does that change like how people play games especially with games like this where there are multiple and there's lots of games like this where there's multiple endings that does the idea of like knowing the ending that you want as a player how does that kind of change the game and and Mm. the way that you're making the game knowing that people might have that access sure i mean that's getting pretty meta i mean certainly like an aspect that must come up in like game design but yeah i don't know i guess i'm just curious and i mean it's years since that it since this game came out so like all those resources are available when it came out that wasn't available there were not as many youtube videos (laughs) You know, on sure, day one when it yeah. came out, there wouldn't, these wouldn't have existed. And I think this game was pretty comp... I don't know. I, I don't remember a game exactly like this being around where it's like, you have so many story options, conversations, but not to say that there weren't. But in any case, like, how is that? how does that change the gaming experience? Uh... And I wonder if people play for an ending... Certainly, for yeah, sure. that happens. Yeah, I don't know. You know, this is this is a kind of a it is in a um sort of a middle place between like I don't know. I feel like a lot of games, let's say Skyrim, it's pretty obvious like what you're doing, pretty straightforward cause and effect, uh, intention and outcome, and not a lot of surprises except for like explicit twists. And then there's, like, from software stuff, like, most recently, Elden Ring. I sure as hell wouldn't have known how to go down any of the paths or, like, explicitly get any of the endings unless I looked up a bunch of stuff. Because it Mm -hmm. is very obfuscated and um, deliberately hidden from you. The Witcher isn't 
certainly isn't like on that level, but it has um way more unexpected things going on and kind of like nuanced I might be using a strong word for what it is, but more nuanced outcomes to your decisions, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't know. I'm partially partly just trying to like get in the mindset because this is one game where like I was, you know, very much in it for the story and um I think I occasionally got stuck, but I wanted to see what happened based on what I did. Yeah. So like if it's a game that is so narratively driven, are you more is there like a different um I don't know. Are you wanting to know how it, how the other endings turn out? Are you like is there is there and it's such a long game and like replaying it and you said you've replayed it a couple times. Is there enough of a a drive to be like I'm I want to do I want to make different choices so that I can see what happens. Right. Yeah, I think I mean, let me think about this. Statistically, right? Like a lot of people who pick up a game don't finish it. Maybe most people who pick up a game don't finish it. Yeah. And certainly most people aren't freaks like me who do more than one very complete run of a game of this scope. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. with that in mind, hadn't I'm thought curious. about it. I mean, if yeah. there are people listening to this that are like, I played it for every single different ending because I wanted to see it. And I was evil girl and I was good girl and I was perfectly gray, neutral girl. Mm. I mean... Was that like an option that people wanted to go down? I don't know. I'm just I and I don't I don't really. There may not be like a straightforward answer to it, but I'm just curious how that changes how people interact with a game when it is so narrative and it's cinematic in in a lot of ways. What is the is there are there people that like want to see who would make choices that wouldn't normally make um, just right. to see what happens? Right. Yeah, yeah, I take for granted, you know, this is a thing that evidently stresses people out. Again, especially for a game that requires, if you were doing like a casual run um, and not trying to be completionist and maybe were playing on a difficulty level where you didn't need to like max your experience and get to a super high level, you know, you're still putting in like 50 plus hours. Mm-hmm. And so... This is going to be the one time you do that. You want to get your outcome. Mm-hmm. You want to whatever. If you're you recognize that there are things in motion and like choices I have to make to whatever affect what happens to Siri. And if I end up with Yennefer and whatever and you don't want to fuck that up. No, you're invested and you don't want to end up sad by yourself about to get eaten ending that's bad ending yeah that sounds pretty bad no thank i wouldn't you. want that personally no but i can also i i i can imagine that there are people who are like what what do you got to do to get sad about to get eaten all by himself Geralt? <laughs> i guess yeah i don't want to see that but... no but i do want to watch it on youtube and that's what i did mm. it is sad. no no it's thank no you good. It's uh, he's very bummed. Yeah. Well, Spoilers. It's really bummed. Do you think that there's a way that the um, actual unassisted gameplay um, recognizes and plays into that? Because the people who make these games seem like they must be smart enough to know that people are gonna, you know, use other resources to help play their game and get the outcomes that they want. Yeah, I mean, I, I I suspect that's part of the the development process. And I wonder if, like, that's just another, I don't know, not inspiration, like a reason to um, have each choice feel complex and not as straightforward as this is the good guy or bad guy version. Mm. I mean, I think, like, the, the endings, the... the f- you know, fairly nuanced differences of I'm gonna be a an overly protective kind of coddling or uh, and at certain points distant 
uh, father rather than like letting you spread your wings and having a little rough housing. Like those aren't like super, super straightforward differences, but having those like subtle, but you know, significant differences in parenting style uh, result in very different endings. Uh. I mean, those are complex and, and you wouldn't, I, I don't know if you would not like if you're playing those tracks, you don't know at least the first time going into it, like, I'm going to kill my kid by doing this. Sure, yeah. It's not a very, it's not a straight line. It makes sense, but it's not as obvious. So I I suspect that, like, having more complex storytelling is the only way to have that not be, like... Because the differences aren't, like... I mean, I guess the two becoming Emperor versus... Or becoming the heir, uh, and then future Empress versus becoming a Witcher... Like, that's kind of like, you just make a choice that I'm going to do this or that. And that's a smaller choice. But, like... Sure. Um, I think the other, whether she succeeds or not in and li- in li- in living, <laughs> is a is a much yeah. more nuanced, like, outcome. I mean, I think either of those, the previous two outcomes, take a few things to actually even have the possibility of making the final choice to um steer it in that direction. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. But, um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's... I mean, people are often interacting with any kind of media in ways that I wouldn't exactly expect and certainly don't suit my, you know, behavior. But it does feel like this is a game that, um, I guess makes such an effort to have a story where it feels like you're affecting stuff and, you know building your relationship with the other characters that at least from my perspective um i don't know that i even i would have just because it's so story driven i didn't want to look up how to do this or that i was like fairly hesitant to look up walkthroughs of like stuff i got stuck on because like i'm in it for what's happening next i don't want you know spoilers yeah the fact that they've made it such a compelling story makes you not want to yeah spoil it because if you if you didn't care about how it turned out spoilers aren't going to be that big of a deal yeah much to think about what else do we got so i don't know how to put this the witcher 3 wild hunt has some ideas about religion and i mean more specifically the negative um, things that might come from it. Yeah, it's not painted in a loving light. No. Or at least, like, the institutions of religion. Yeah. The organization surrounding it. Yeah. So it's a big part of the second main area, Novigrad. Um, just all of the um, hate that can be stoked by religion and religious zealotry and... You know, your whole time in the city of Novigrad and you're that's primarily a place where you're dealing with um Triss and some other non human people and, and some other stuff. And um the city is rife with witch hunters and other kind of religious zealots who are targeting sort of any non human or magic person. Or suspected magic person. Because they are often wrong. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think the idea that, like, uh, tying in that idea of the other, that, like, they're not like us. They're not. We're human. We don't use magic. We have religion instead. And since they are different than that, then they are bad. And we gotta get rid of them. Right. Yeah, Um, we gotta kill them. Burn them. Gotta burn them. Gotta kill them. Uh, Which, I mean, you know... Uh, happened in real life, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it is pretty funny. It is. It's uh, not funny. It's not funny. Sorry, my bad. Serious uh, stuff. Serious stuff. Uh, I mean, because you know, like, <laughs> people in real life got uh, killed and and uh, still do. So uh, yeah, continue to be killed. Wow. And so that's a, a thing. And I still, I'm not sure. I mean, again, so as we've established a few times this is not exactly the canon of Andrzej Sapkowski but um close enough 
And it is also by these CD Projekt Red is also Polish, right? Mm hmm. Yep. You know, Polish people who are at least relatively um, informed and, you know, learned folk who seem to have some grip on history and stuff. And so while there aren't like, like I said, you know, Jews or people of color really in this game, the um, non-human people kind of are the stand-ins for that. Which is, you know, I mean, maybe at some point we'll have a deeper, longer conversation about, like, the the trouble with portraying real world, um, real world people who face discrimination um, and shifting that into magical fantasy stuff. But it's a conversation for another day. Suffice it to say, whatever, the non-humans and sorcerers and sorceresses and whatnot are stand-ins for, you know, people who in our world are, have been historically persecuted. And, I mean, presumably the people of Poland are pretty well aware of some pretty nasty history that took place both in the country and just in that neck of the woods um, in relation to targeting Jewish people and you know, sort of scapegoating them and uh, doing a lot of nasty stuff. And, I mean, I don't know. The game portrays this in pretty negative light, which, gosh, you would hope that that's the case, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the the idea of um, religious institutions being um, dangerous is, it's like not a new idea, it's not a new trope. Um, but I think it's one that bears repeating because it's not necessarily it's not the belief system that's dangerous entirely. It's like the organizations and the people that enforce like the nastier parts of it um, and like the violence that comes from it. Right. There's like a, a sort of, um, you know, Christian fascist revival happening. I mean, I can only really speak for the United States. It's happening here. I think it is happening elsewhere in the world. And, you know, um, a rise in anti-Semitism. And that's not an inherent part of Christianity. No. I'm not a Christian myself, for the record, but I think that there's a lot of good to be taken from that belief system. But we're seeing right now how it can be manipulated and like twisted into something that is really hurtful to a lot of people and dangerous and so stories like this you know like you said do bear repeating like it's uh shouldn't forget you know the outcomes of i don't know how the like, the horrible paths that um kind of some beliefs can um take you down yeah and i, I mean i think what's also scary about what's been brewing again uh, can only really speak to the american experience but the kind of tying of the religious and um political bodies and the fact that there is uh. like because it's not just like the church that is like gotta get to doing bad stuff it's also like the political organizations and like the apparatus that are sure. enforcing these uh, like religiously informed, hateful ideas um, right. and actions. And that's true in the game, but it's also true in real life that it's a, a church and a congregation can do really awful, terrible things. But once it's in the hands and empowered by the government, then it becomes even scarier. Yeah. You know what? I hadn't really like, it's so easy to think of it on the ground level. And in the game, you know, the people who you're dealing with are these witch hunters and stuff who are just, like, nasty people who are... I mean, they're the ones, you know, the foot soldiers, the stormtroopers um, doing all the nasty work. But they are empowered by the king who is interested in attacking, you know, non-human people and, mm -hmm. like magical people in the game um and it is through that that they are allowed to do their work at all and um i mean the funding of that organization isn't exactly a big uh plot point in the game but they are propping it up the the government yeah. is propping it up exactly they're 
you, it is implied that they are condoning it and potentially funding. I mean, it's their job to be a witch hunter. You gotta get, you gotta get paid to do that somehow. Yeah. So it adds another kind of like realistic texture to the world. Um, as unfortunately it is, it is that that is realistic and, and that as like modern day people, we can kind of connect to that idea in our public and private lives is scary and unfortunate. Uh, Yeah. But okay. So the game itself, you know, how does it reinforce that other than like purely narrative stuff? Right. Well, I mean, I guess this is still sort of narrative, but like, not only are you as a witcher kind of subject to this um, hatred, but all of your friends and closest allies are on some level or another, you know, facing this too. Whether it's the various um, sorceresses that you deal with or, you know, one of your close friends who is a dwarf. There's a whole subplot. One of the more interesting side quests, again, not to get too bogged down in explaining side quests, but to put it simply, Dandelion um, is, you know, his primary romantic interest is another bard and singer. And she is targeted as part of this kind of like the movie Seven, or as you might know, it's a seven in mm-hmm. religiously motivated serial killer type who I think ends up being like a some kind of someone involved in the church um, who is targeting, you know, people who he sees as like sinners, basically, and like sex workers and and stuff like that. So even that's just to say, even like humans are not um, safe from this sort of religious, um, I don't know, evil, religiously motivated uh, evil. And that side quest is one of the more like developed and serious and impactful ones in the game. So I guess I'm saying all this to say that like the game goes out of its way to both put you in the shoes as someone who like faces this stuff, but make it affect tons of characters that you are motivated to care about. Yeah. I mean, I it strengthens the argument. Um, it allows you to see the the people that this religious order hates. You have like personal connections to these characters. Um, they are not just like faceless types. They are particular individuals in uh, Geralt's orbit, and kind of highlights how ridiculous these um, hateful people are. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else to say about that? I think I think we said it real good. Yeah. I don't know. This is all it's just a lot going on here. And I think we've gotten to a lot of it today, but it's yeah. just quite a complicated thing with a lot of themes and stuff going on and even in two episodes we really couldn't have realistically explored all of it. It's a big old game. Yeah. But we're going to need to call it here. We're both pretty spent. Um, I'm a Tucker little Hannah. Yeah. But I don't know. If you have any thoughts about things that we missed or stuff that we got completely wrong or whatever, um, send it our way. But be nice. Yeah, yeah be nice. That's what we're always saying here. <laughs> and, um, you know, I don't know. Maybe someday... Probably won't do another full episode about The Witcher, but if if there's enough thoughts about what we should have been, you know, spending our time on here, maybe we can bring that up in more of like a, a sort of mailbag type episode and talk about a lot of things that um, we have apparently missed. Who knows? We don't. But um, yeah, again, you know, that's what we're always saying. It's not like we know everything or have all the answers. Nope. We're just we're just trying to ask questions and think about stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's it for now. So thanks everybody. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.